Ever think back to a memory that is just so utterly embarrassing you wish that you could wipe it out of your memory? Or you just can't cope with the sad memories of the past? Let's get you to get rid of those memories ASAP. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. If you thought having an extra hole would lead to a sexual joke, we have bad news for you. She was trying to take the place of my mother, and I right. resented that, so. How did she respond? Uh, she would punish me or do things to me that would aggravate me, so it would just snowball. Once she did something to me, I'd do something back, and pretty soon it just got out of hand. Their relationship got worse and worse, to the extent that Lou took Howard to see Dr. Freeman. It was just before his 12th birthday. Hey, guys. Welcome back. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. And um, we're here to do some more medical stuff. Stuff? Stuff. Mumbo jumbo? We're doing mumbo and jumbo. Whoa. Yeah. So be prepared. Kylie, you just got back from a... I told everyone you were in Vermont. You weren't in Vermont this whole time. I realized that like the day you were coming home and I had to tell my coworkers I lied this whole two weeks. Virginia. Where were you? <laughs> How was Virginia, Kylie? It was, it was good. It was warmer, warmer than here. Mm, so mm. that would be nice to like come home and be warm. But nope, nope, no, nope. it snowed while you were gone. Yeah. What? What the hell? <laughs> It's still on my way home, hence why the episode was late. Sorry. True. If anyone noticed, Kylie and I were so excited for our favorite like episode we were going to post, and then we posted it a day late on accident. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, Pennsylvania <laughs> took four hours to go through instead of, you know, one. Damn, Pennsylvania. Damn it. <laughs> well, uh, we got some more wild medical stuff for you guys. People like Dr. Death, so let's uh, keep the ball rolling, I guess. So we're going to tell you some crazy medical practices that are going to make you super thankful that you live in this day and age because you're going to be like, yikes, the shit they did in the past was whack. But uh, don't worry, today you might learn some really fun facts, maybe some things you wish you didn't know about old head surgeries. But first, uh, we should we should do the thing, shouldn't we, Kylie? Yeah, let's do the thing. Let's, OK, uh, Corey, put in the thing. Here at Cryptic Soup, we care about you and your mental health. So we are excited to tell you about our new sponsor. Are you prone to headaches? Sad? Having gay thoughts? Struggling to read? Or maybe you just want to reach an ultimate high without having to use drugs? Well, have you considered putting an extra hole in your head? Maybe take an ice pick and mallet it into your eyes. Or instead, just take a drill and take a chunk out of your skull. The solution? To your problems? Trepanning or a lobotomy? And now you can get 50% off all procedures from Cryptic Soup. Either you'll feel better, or we can help you find the right coffin to suit your needs. So give us a call at 1 800 oh no, oh no, or keep listening to hear all about these amazing procedures. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. 50% off, right? We really care about the listeners. 50% off. 50%. Man. Yeah. It's not like some it's not some 10% off discount. I was going to say it's some puny 10%. <laughs> you get a you get a lobotomy and your friend gets one half off. <laughs> you get one and you 
get one. Lobotomies for everyone. <laughs> Check under your seat for your lobotomy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, this is really a fucked up situation. <laughs> and we are having fun with it. <laughs> so a lot of people know what lobotomies are and they think they're like, it's kind of like a cult classic in a sense. Like, I hate to say a lobotomy is a cult classic, but it kind of is like. But not that many people know what trepanation is. I have no idea what it is. I was just going to ask if you know. <laughs> OK, cool. So we're going to start with trepanation then. So you can be like, the fuck? And then be like. Yeah, let's talk about some lobotomies. Like, they'll make you feel more safe after hearing about a trepanation. I don't know how I feel about lobotomies ever being safe. Yeah, that's how scary trepanation is. Okay. All right. So trepanation surgery is where they put a hole in your skull using a hand drill by cutting or scraping it off your head. The trepanation has evolved uh, over the years. So they cut a hole in the skull with an instrument that's then inserted into the brain and they disconnect parts of your head that are being affected by whatever the reason you need this trepanation is. Whether it's the part of your brain that's making you have a headache or have a gay thought or whatever it is, you know, because, you know, this is like a a catch all. It solves everything by putting a hole in that area. Yes. By making your head look like a bowling ball. Great. You will be cured. Sounds great. Super healthy. (laughs) Right. So trepan comes from the Greek word trepanion, which means a borer, like a boring borer. It's boring, a borer. Sounds like I'm making up the word. I said it too many times. And trepanning is the inspiration for lobotomy procedures. Hmm. See why they go hand in hand here. Hmm. Or more like head and head. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) In ancient times, trepanation was thought to be the treatment for various ailments, mostly any kind of head injury. Riddle me the fuck. (laughs) They're like, oh, my God, you fell and hit your head and you have a giant bleeding bruise. Let's Let's cut a hole. (laughs) Like, what were we? Okay. I mean, I understand, like, opening to allow your brain to swell like that is a thing that they do now in the saw movie they do that okay i bring this up every time (laughs) but they do it in the movie saw okay but they do it in real life when 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 he puts that thing around the girl's neck and then you know amanda's in the other room and amanda gets mad and jealous and all that shit's happening what saw is this uh like four five six nine thirty three (laughs) fourteen something okay i think i've only seen like one people are gonna be like it was number three bitch (laughs) you said you like scary movies what the fuck (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) so yeah trepanation is used to treat pain or like head injuries some scientists think that this practice also might have been used to pull evil spirits from the body in like pagan ritual days and pagan rituals itself. But during the Middle Ages, we do have some like accounts and records where trepanation was used to cure headaches, seizures, and skull fractures by reducing the swelling and blood pressure on the head. So you were kind of right. Still don't understand the seizures or headaches one though. Like it doesn't totally make sense. Right. But allowing swelling is a normal thing that but we still do in today's And medicine. I guess we didn't know how headaches were caused back then. Because if you had a headache back in the medieval times, I'm sure they're like, your brain's probably swelling. Like, that makes oh, yeah, sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because they didn't because, know like, what pressure. Happens. Yeah. Like, you feel like pressure is building. So that, eh, eh. But yeah. a seizure, I could not imagine them being like, oh, you had a seizure? Can I cut open and put a <laughs> hole in your head? 
and scrape your skull. Right. Mm, no, mm, no, don't think that will help. Well, if you didn't think that was shady enough, they also use trepanning to treat depression or mental disorders. Nothing a good hole in the head can't solve. <laughs> um, there was a guy named Dr. Raphael Davis. He was a neurosurgeon and the co-director of neurosciences, ne- neurosciences Institute at Stony Brook University. He had a really good quote, and I wanted Kylie to read it. Trepanation is really an old term, also known as trepanation. It's just spelled differently. <laughs> like, what? But, but I wanted you to know it's an old term. Keep going, Kylie. Shut so, up. So it's like, so the first one is trepanation. It's spelled like that. The second one is trephination, like P-H. So that that's the different spelling. It's been done for about 5,000 years, making it one of the oldest medical procedures known to the human race. Because only humans are stupid enough to do this. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> So according to an article in uh, Surgery Nerd... Oh my gosh. (laughs) According to an article in the journal, it's called Surgical Neurology International, more than 1,500 trepanned skulls, which is about 5 to 10% of all skulls found from the Neolithic period, which is 12,000 years ago that ended 4,000 years ago, um, out of these, that 1,500 Japan skulls were uncovered throughout the world, which is kind of a lot to think of 10% of the skulls we found from this single time period all had all holes. had these holes. They've specifically figured out that they were like holes from this. I mean, like, not I, I, I would you like me to call the uh-huh. Surgical Neurology International and ask? Yes. Yes. Okay. Ahead. Beep, 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 boop, boop. Hey, surgery neurology. Cause can you verify this? Yes, it's true. Okay, Kylie. There you go. I don't know what the fuck you wanted me to say there. I just I mean, are they like perfect holes or are they just like you know, how do they have been a perfect hole anyways? They didn't have drills back then. They're like taking a fucking like rock and hammering it into the Kylie, shut the fuck up. <laughs> do you want to write the episode? No, no, I do not. <laughs> We already figured this out. Kylie doesn't want to write any more episodes. Damn, make me sound dumb. Sorry. <laughs> I just wondered if they like verified it. No, I honestly don't know. It. I guess it just looks the way that maybe like the skull was cut into and stuff were all yeah. the same style and stuff. Or like in the same areas. But also this was done over different places in the world. It wasn't all just like, oh, in the northern hemisphere, or southern hemisphere. It was all of these skulls from this time period. Okay, okay. Thank you so much for giving up on that. (laughs) In the South Central Andean Highlands, trepanations first appeared around AD 200 to AD 600. And according to the University of California, they said that that was the most time period, like that's the most accurate time period they found. Could have been beyond that, but that's, you know, the gist of it. The treatment was largely practiced up until the early 16th century, though. Drilling holes into a person's skull is still practiced today, though. Mm-hmm. It is now called a craniotomy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, look at me go, bitches. <laughs> look the- at your medical term over there. I looked that one up. Oh, okay. <laughs> In this procedure, a surgeon removes a piece of the skull to access the brain. Um, this piece of skull will be replaced as soon as possible. But it's again, like Kylie said, to reduce swelling or like uh, blood, things like that. 
So this can help treat different conditions such as brain lesions, brain tumors, things like that. And this is all according to John Hopkins Medicine. They kind of know their shit. So, yeah, they, they know one or two things about the brain. Just a little bit. Some stories that come from trepanation are that once the piece of the skull is removed, if you want, you can wear it like a necklace to bring you spiritual enlightenment and good health. Okay, from that point on. I would definitely wear it. <laughs> but I love that John Hopkins is like, you need to put it back immediately. And the Neanderthal like people mm-hmm. are like, yo, you want to wear it for good luck and health? <laughs> Bro, you they'll they'll be like best friend i'll remove part of my skull you remove part of yours we'll wear each other's skulls bruh, yeah bruh bruh best friends for life for life because <laughs> their lives are only like another week <laughs> yikes it's like when marilyn manson and um i think it was rose mcgowan or maybe no wait i think it wasn't them i think it was what's that girl with the really nice cheekbones she played maleficent oh um hold on Angelina Jolie. I think it was you know Angelina Jolie and someone. I had to say Brad Pitt and in oh. my head. <laughs> I think it was her and someone. They wore those vials of blood around each other's oh. necklace next and they did it at like the Grammys or something like that. And everyone yeah. like talked about it for a while. It's that, but not at all. It's skulls. So this went on a tangent. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have got it at first, it would have made more sense, but me having to like explain it okay uh yeah let's just move on she does have really nice cheekbones though the best cheekbones she is maleficent she literally is like she looks like she was a dragon that was anamorphing into a human and didn't fully get there but was pretty i mean princess dragon it could have been cosmetically enhanced but But that's okay have you seen her as a kid she still had some insane cheekies yeah She did. Cheekies. Cheekies. All right, moving on. <laughs> I could have called them cheekboners. That's worse. Yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> In ancient times, trepanation instruments were often made out of flint, obsidian, seashells, or stone knives. So probably all very sterile and clean. Yeah, yeah. super great. <laughs> Later, they used things like metal, bronze, and copper and like made the knives out of them. Dude, can you imagine someone being like, all right, we're going to cut a hole in your head because you're sad. I'm going to use a seashell to do it. (laughs) Don't worry, it's clean. I only did like seven others today. (laughs) The fucking audacity of the doctors back then. No, they probably were like, yeah, it's in seawater. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. That one's not sharp. and It doesn't need to be sharp. Trepanation instruments nowadays are replaced with cranial drills that are they have like diamond coated rims on them. It helps keep them. I was reading this. Don't quote me, but like different places said different things about why they're diamond coated. Uh, They're easier to keep sharp. They're easier to stay sterile and they're easier uh, like they don't like rust and stuff like that. Like it's a little bit of a mixture of all of it. That makes sense. But I mean, we could just use seashells. Seashells don't rust. You're not wrong. (laughs) So as the five main methods were found for trepanation, they are uh, how how you go about it, I should say. So the first one is they will do rectangular intersecting cuts throughout your head. Another one would be they scrape an abrasive instrument such as flint on your head until it's like removed. Another one is circular grooving where they keep going in a circle until the piece is removed. That one sounds fucking rough. Mm-hmm. The next one is called boring and cutting in circular trapines or crown saws. I, 
Don't ask me what that means. It's just what they do. The fifth one is they do burr holes by drilling several circles and holes closely to create space. And then they cut and chisel out the bone between the hole. The difference in all these methods will vary the amount and depth of the bone being removed. Literally, none of them sound good, so I'm not about it. I mean, we do burr holes still in medicine today but we do them a lot better than they but they did. yeah we're, we're not doing a bunch this says burr hole done by drilling several circles closely to create a space mm, and no. they don't have anesthesia back then you're just like they're raw dog in it you just get a bunch of alcohol Ooh, not helping though Mm-mm. i'd get loopy and try and fight the doctor I would dead ass. I would fight the doctor doing the <laughs> surgery. I would start fucking bleeding all over, attacking him like a feral fucking dog. I would be barking. <laughs> Get the fuck back, motherfucker. <laughs> I like how your bark was just like so innocent. <laughs> I meant to like be like arf arf, like knocked loose, yeah. but it went ruff ruff. Uh, okay. <laughs> the location of trepanation on the skull varies by geographical region and period. Common locations are the frontal and occipital bones. The operation leaves very minimal space for error and high incidence of mortali- morality if the durum manner- No, you were right the first time. It's mortality. <laughs> Wait, what is this? Morality. <laughs> It's not against your morals. <laughs> In my head, it was. <laughs> I mean, it, it probably should be against your morals. Of mortality if the dura mater is penetrated. I think it's matter, but it's fine. Is it matter? It, matter is two T's. I know. Mater. Mater. Like to mater. <laughs> Without the duh. Mater. <laughs> like ka-chow. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? I, yeah, I said without the tuh. <laughs> yeah, like tuh, maybe, but without the tuh. I think I was just busy saying ka-chow in my head. I didn't process what <laughs> you said. Ka-chow. What is that movie? Cars. It's literally With a cars. little bit of rusties and an insane amount of luck, you too can look just like me. Ka-chow. Yikes. I fuck. I want to tattoo Kachow on the bottom of my foot. On the bottom of your foot. <laughs> yeah. Fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fast. Mm-mm. I think it'd be a good time for everyone. <laughs> Kachow. Or I could just put Sanic and put gotta go fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we did this really sad episode before this and now we're doing this and we're just fucking bonky. <laughs> So go watch Cars, apparently. I love Cars. It's so sad. I cry every time I see it. It is sad. It's so sad. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Rascal Flats. Yeah. Life is a highway. Yeah. Owen Wilson. That too. So the operation leaves very minimal space, like I said, and the morality, you know, you don't want to have bad morals. (laughs) Just kidding. The mortality. If to, if like, what I'm trying to say is essentially if they press too far with any of the instruments and they hit like a certain point in your brain, like hashtag later, RIP, <laughs> you're donezo. Literally. <laughs> like you are not waking up from the surgery. Your brain you, dead. Yeah. 
So there's also a high risk for infection because oh. <laughs> you, you mean you mean they're not sterile? <laughs> <laughs> they're not sterile. So if the operation is conducted with any kind of contaminated tool or improper sanitary area, like it's just a giant pussing open wound probably at that point mm. on your head. Mm-hmm. The survival rate for these operations is actually higher than expected, and the infection rate is relatively low. I found different numbers. Because they're probably just sitting here, like, pouring straight alcohol on top of it. Okay, but I found different numbers, so I didn't put them in because I didn't want to quote it and be wrong. But I was like, okay, like, higher than expected. My expected rating was, like, 1% lived. It was, like, 9%. (laughs) So when I say they're higher, like... It's not a lot higher, but it's a lot higher than you would have expected. Yeah. But then like another person was like, no, it's 20 to 25 percent. And then some people were like, well, you live. Yeah. But like it depends on oh, how right. long are the life bra- is. Or are you brain dead, but you're still living? Yeah. Like, or like, right. well, without this surgery, you would have only lived 10 years. And now you're going to only live two years. But that's two years that you might. Or I said that backwards. You know what I mean? Like, but essentially you were still young. You should have lived 30 more years, like things right. like that. So that's why it's like kind of hard to get that statistic because you know iffy one of the known cases of trepanation trep trepanation is peter halverson peter's case was a self-done trepanation he put a hole in his own skull that's three-eighths of an inch wide he was living in holland in 1972 He used anesthetic, he injected it himself, and then he used a scalpel, four drill bits, and an electric-powered drill controlled by his foot, and he made the hole in his head. He was suffering from depression, and he decided this would bring him some sort of permanent happiness. Mm. (laughs) Doing it on yourself, that's fucking rough. That's rough. I mean, he had anesthetic, so... Again... I would have just fell asleep at that point then. I don't think I could have done it. Well, there's local anesthetic. Like for I would have Mo's, passed out. Like for Mo's procedures, which is what we do in Durham, we do a local anesthetic, so we don't like put anyone out. I would have passed out from the pain. You don't feel it. Though. Drilling a hole in your head, Kylie. <laughs> I'm talking about the hole that he's putting in his fucking head with a drill bit. Yeah, no, he would not have been able to do that if it hurt, so he probably had... No, I would have just fucking, no. A better known case is a man named Hugo Bart Hughes. I'm going to call him Bart because that's what everyone called him, but his name was Hugo Hughes. He was a Dutch librarian who did attend medical school at the University of Amsterdam, but he didn't graduate. Supposedly it was because he was a big advocate of LSD and he did a research paper on it and they like kicked him out. In 1964, he published something called The Mechanisms of Blood. Nope. Mechanisms of blood. No, hold on. <laughs> it's all one word, so it's really difficult. The mechanisms of brain blood volume. But it's not one word. Brain blood volume. Yeah. Yeah. That's all one word to him. Right. But it's like not. It's three words. Right. No, I know. <laughs> I'm telling them. No, I know. <laughs> so that but they like, don't think why? I'm stupid. <laughs> he suggested trepanation could be used to enhance brain functionality by balancing the proportion of blood to the cerebrospinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid. Oh my god, I'm (laughs) stupid. Bro. I just want to say bro in the middle. (laughs) Cerebro. 
Cerebrospinal. Cerebro. Yeah, that makes sense. I've watched Osmosis Jones. That's a word. <laughs> Hughes Bart guy believed that children have higher states of consciousness because their skulls are not fully developed and they're still like closed off. So he claimed when mankind began to walk upright, our brains drained of the fluid because like we're standing all day. And so your blood's like going down and trepanation would allow the blood to better flow in and out of your brain because like it caused a permanent high. So if you put a hole in the top of your head when you sleep, it like flows out and some like gets trapped up there. Yeah, I know you're looking at me like I'm fucking insane. It makes no sense. I'm so glad this dude did not get anywhere in his medical degree. (laughs) Okay, it gets worse. It gets so much worse. Okay. All right. So this Bart guy, right? He wants this permanent high. So on January 6th, 1965, he used a foot operated electric dentist drill. Bart drills a hole in his skull and it worked. He published something called Trepanation, a Cure for Psychosis. He expanded on his theories and later wrote another book. It was an autobiography called The Book with the Hole. And that was in 1972. So in the 1970s, Hugh and his girlfriend, Evelyn Van Dish, Dyke, Dick, Dauk, Dijk, Dijk. I like that one. Let's go with that one. Dijk. They made several comics and they were like little like pamphlet comics that promoted trepanation and talked about like how they helped. So these writings influenced someone else. Oh, my God, this dude's insane. His name was Joey Mellon, and he also attempted a self trepanation. But the first time it didn't work. So he did it a second time. But the second time didn't work. So he did it a third time. And that worked. Third time's a charm. (laughs) It did. It succeeded. So he documented all of his attempts in this other book called Borehole. His girlfriend was sitting there the whole time watching over the situation because actually his girlfriend was this uh, woman named Amanda Fielding. And Amanda was actually really well known for her research in neurological science. She was working towards uh, being like a, a not a neurosurgeon, but like something in the neuroscience fields. Mm-hmm. So she oversaw Joey doing this to himself, right? Okay. She decided it worked so well the third time that she wanted to perform a trepanation on herself. This is like a fucking snowball. They filmed her doing this trepanation and they tried to make it into a documentary and show it. But like she was bleeding so much and she's like feeling sick during it and all this stuff. And people that watched it said the whole video was so sickening that they would feel nauseous and gross every time they watched it and stuff. So supposedly the tape was destroyed and they lost the media and it's no longer available. Then I think it was like only a few years ago, like probably like 10 years ago or so. There was a conference in somewhere in like America and they were doing studies and they showed clips of this video and people did not know they were going to show the clips and everyone that saw it was like that was the most disturbing and disgusting thing because you knew it was really happening and stuff like it wasn't mm-hmm. just like a informational thing and it was so disturbing and a few of those clips you can find like on youtube but you can't see very well and stuff but otherwise the video is supposedly lost to the world um 
hypothetically, I'm not saying I tried to find it and spent many an hour trying to search for it and like kind of dark web digged a little. But like, hypothetically, if I did, I would just tell you that I didn't find it for right now. But if anyone else does, I'm totally interested. Hypothetically <laughs> speaking, of course. Right. Now, if you thought this was already weird enough, you're wrong. Joey and Amanda got divorced and Joey got remarried. And guess what his new wife did? Um, did she put holes in her head? Yeah, she trepanationed herself. Like, what is with this man telling women to put holes in their head? And I also want to know, did he have three separate holes in his head? Right. Yes, probably. <laughs> like, how do you like, just walk no, up? this spot didn't work. And they leave the holes open. Right. Yeah, it's like an open hole in your head that you can see through mm-hmm. to your brain. Also, on rainy days, does it rain in your brain? <laughs> I feel like these are stupid questions, but like I need answers. Right. <laughs> Someone who's done this. <laughs> yeah. Are there people out there that are trepanationing themselves right now I can talk to? Well, trepanation is still practiced in modern times, but not like as a medical replacement. It's more to increase the blood flow to your brain to give you a higher state of consciousness and reach a new nirvana or sense of enlightenment. We covered Nirvana, the band, and Kurt Cobain in a previous episode, if you guys want to hear things about Nirvana. But this is a different kind of Nirvana. (laughs) That's a joke because of what I did in the Dr. Death episode that is also an episode we posted, if you guys were wondering why I'm joking around about this. Because apparently... I have nothing to contribute to the episodes when I'm not the person talking, so I just talk about previous episodes. It's pretty funny. (laughs) We learned that you can't focus at all. Zero percent. I have nothing in my brain. It is rattling. That's okay. I don't want to. It's it's fine. I don't want to write any more episodes. So the original medical versioning of trepanning is potentially related to um, the inspiration of medieval practicings of medicine, specifically the procedure called bloodletting. Bloodletting is the withdrawal of blood from a patient to prevent or cure an illness or disease by the use of leeches or maybe a physician. Bloodletting is insane. Maybe we'll cover it someday. But like sometimes they would just like strap a person to a rack and like cut them a million times and attach leeches to them and be like, you have really bad headaches. We'll take some of the blood from your body. body. That'll fix you. Like they literally just took your blood out. Like that'll fix you. Leeches inside of these cuts. So like that doesn't feel good either. Yeah. Trepanation and lobotomy go hand in hand very well because it's a lot of head trauma. So let's go from bad to worse. And now let's talk about the scary sounding medicinal procedure that inspired a worse one. So I told you trepanation is how lobotomies like got their inspiration, right? So a lot of people know what lobotomies are and it's because they're fascinating. They're featured in a lot of different movies or shows like Sucker Punch Okay, do you pronounce it ratchet or ratched? It's ratchet, ratchet right? Mm-hmm. I said ratchet and someone told me it's ratched. I'm like, no, that's like snatched. No, it's a show. Oh. It has that girl from that one thing. American Horror Story. The one that everyone's obsessed with. She's gay and amazing. I'm way too much of a pussy to watch American Horror Story. Mm. I think there's lobotomies in American <laughs> Horror Story in Asylum. I can't remember now. Probably. But, um, I, I fucking love her. I can't think of the lady's name, but she's so um, iconic. I love Sucker Punch. I love Sucker Punch. Oh my gosh. If it you haven't seen Sucker Punch, go movie. see it right now. But you have to watch the uh, 
unrated or like the extended version. Yes. Don't watch the real one. That's the worst thing I've ever seen done to a movie. <laughs> like that was the worst thing I ever. I think it's the extended extended unrated extended version. version. Every girl in that movie is so stupid hot. Yes. <laughs> um it's also a really big theme in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo's Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo. I knew that was wrong, but I couldn't figure out how to get it right. And I was like saying it in my head. I was like, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Well, you got to just like think about it. You can't read it because it does. It does look like cuckoos. 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 Is a cuckoo a real bird? Cuckoo? Yeah, I think so. A cuckoo bird? Damn, that's a hard ass word. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Cuckoo? You're kind of emphasizing. Cuckoo. Coo. Yep. Coo. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Here you go. ASMR with cuckoos. Um, it's also in Shutter Island and just a lot of other things. There's a movie on Hulu called The Mountain. It's about how lobotomies were invented. And it actually tells the story that we're going to tell today. But one of the main characters in that is Jeff Goldblum. So mm, go watch it, obviously. Um, yeah. So let's talk about lobotomies. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how I told a story about Jeff Goldblum the other day, but it's kind of long. Oh, okay. It's all right. So Margie and I went on a date while you guys were gone Uh and we decided to play like uh, questionnaire games at the table, like questions that you wouldn't normally ask someone. Mm -hmm. And I asked her my favorite, like getting to make a new friend question. And I always ask the same question. I say, well, I asked two questions. The one, the fuck, Mary kill with the Grinch, Bowser and Shrek. Mm -hmm. But then the second one is always. um, If you could have a dinner party and you could invite five people and here's the rules. One. The person has to be dead. One, the person has to be a famous athlete. One, a famous musician, not a whole band, just one musician. One, a famous actor or actress. And the last one, it could be like just um, sometimes I pick like a a villain. Sometimes I pick a Disney character like the fifth one. I just change up and I don't even remember what I did for that one. We were going through it and she, you know, she listed off Harry Styles and like other people. Um, and then it's my turn. And she's like, I already know it's going to be Ryan Reynolds. Like she in her head was ready for me to say Ryan Reynolds. And I was like, and um, for the actor, actress, obviously Jeff Goldblum. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> she's like, I know you love Jeff Goldblum, but I was like surprised. And actually, when I went to California, the only two Hollywood stars I took pictures with were Dolly Parton and Jeff Goldblum. Huh. So you actually know. What it's like. I love Jeff Goldblum. <sighs> yeah, that was interesting. I would have definitely 100% thought I would have said Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I shot or people. Robbie. Okay. See, see, here's the thing. <laughs> I would be so starstruck to be in a room with Robbie P. You wouldn't be able to do anything. And Ryan, Could I would just, just cry. I would, yeah. I literally would. <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum, I would be able to hold a conversation with. And I think he would be able to teach me really cool, interesting facts, especially now that he has that weird Disney show. And I would just want to know, like, what was it like acting from way back in the day doing Jurassic Park and then like the newer ones with all the like special effects? He's been in so many things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. so whatever. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) 
The term lobotomy is derived from the Greek word lobos, meaning lobe, and tom, meaning cut or slice. So literally like exactly what it sounds like. Lobotomies are considered a neuro, neurosurgical treatment as of a mental disorder or how to treat depression. During a lobotomy, they sever the connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex to reroute your brain. It all started around 1935 by this neurologist named Iges Monez. Monez. Yeah. Monez. In August of that same year, Monez attended the Second International Congress of Neurology held in London to learn more about medical science. I've said neurology and neuroscience and stuff like that so many times now that like they're all kind of interchanging and they're really hard for me to read. You mean like differentiate? Yeah, neurology like and I neuroscience? just because I want to say like neural nurse neuro like I, I can't figure out where the uh, sounds are. OK. <laughs> there were speakers at this event and they talked about their previous surgeries, including speeches that caught Monez's attention. Specifically, one that was done by a Yale neuroscience named John Fulton and his junior colleague, Carlisle Jacobson. Fulton and Jacobson presented two chimpanzees. The chimps were named Becky and Lucy. Becky and Lucy were said to suffer from severe aggression and have super aggressive outbreaks that needed a medical solution. So as a response to this, What happened was they removed the frontal lobes of the two violent animals, a.k.a. performing two frontal lobosectomies. Nope. Lobectomies? Yep. Okay. (laughs) I was thinking of vasectomy. Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) As a result, after the surgery, the animals were no longer violent, and instead they were literally the definition of calm, cool, and collected. Okay, so we need to do this to Shiro? Yes. (laughs) So this led to Monez thinking that maybe the trial should be done on humans that have mental issues to see if it has the same effect. Kind of a jump. A little bit. But also I understand entirely because, you know, chimps and monkeys are our starting point of how humans progressed. Mm-hmm. So I hate to say I agree with him, but I, I understand his thought process kind of. Yes. Especially if he is that determined to find an answer and then he saw this, he's like, oh my God, this is the answer because it's better than any other answer he's seen up to this point. But they didn't start with like rabbits or rats. Not at all. (laughs) So at the Congress, during the question and answer section of the event, they did like a little panel, you know, like comic cons and stuff. Well, it was later said Monez even startled Fulton because he was like asking a lot of questions about how the procedure could be extended to human subjects that also suffer from mental illness. And they they were like shocked that he would even make that jump. Like kind of like what I said. Well, Fulton stated that while the possibility in theory, it could work, it was just too formidable of an intervention to use on humans. So he right away was like, bro, you're barking up the wrong tree here. Chill out. Yeah. Like I get where you're coming from, but this is way too soon to start testing on humans. Cause we had two successful chimps and that's it. Like this is not ready for human development. So three months later, in November, Monez started human trials. Okay. Perfect amount of time. Perfect. When Monez performed the surgery in Portugal, he actually called it a leucotomy. For Monez to cure these patients, it was necessary for him to do the following, which is a quote from him in his own medical journal. He said, you had to destroy 
the more or less fixed arrangements of cellular connections that already exist in the brain, particularly those which are related to the frontal lobes, thus removing their fixed pathological brain circuits. It's believed the brain would functionally adapt to such injury. On November 12th in 1935, at a hospital in Santa Marta in Lisbon, Monez began the first surgery. The initial patients selected for the operation were provided by medical director of Lisbon's Miguel Bombarda Mental Hospital. They were all deemed mentally ill. But notice the word I used here. Not these were people that willingly went or wanted the surgery or even signed up for it or Mm. anything. No volunteer. They were provided because they were sent to be in a mental hospital. And so they no longer had like rights, essentially. So the doctors were like, yeah, take him. It's fine. Very sucker punch. (laughs) Again, yeah, you guys need to watch this. So as Monez lacked training in neurosurgery, because he's not a neuro anything, Mm -hmm. his hands were actually crippled because he had gout. So he had to have someone else do this for him. So the procedure was performed under a general anesthetic. The person's name was Pedro Almeida Lima. And you'll find out that Monez and Lima kind of become like a ragteam duo here. The surgery was described to remove some of the long fibers that connected the frontal lobes to other major brain centers. It's also decided that Lima would trepine the sides of the skull, so, you know, trepanation-y like, and then inject ethanol into the subcortical white matter of the prefrontal areas to destroy the connecting fibers and create what Monez terms a frontal barrier. So they're like cutting open his skull and then like injecting juices in it and being like, look, it's going to fix stuff. And like taking parts out of the head and stuff. like, this isn't good. No, this is really bad. Really, really bad. (laughs) And he doesn't know what he's doing at all either because he doesn't study this stuff. Right. Like in theory, this is going to work. After the operation was complete, Monez considered it a success. Why was it a success? The patient was no longer depressed and showed little to no signs of mental illness. Now, he's not wrong, but it's because the patient was not at all cured. She actually was essentially kind of brain dead, and she ended up having to live the rest of her life in the hospital, and she never was discharged because she couldn't take care of herself anymore, even as a human. Right. But she wasn't depressed. Okay. So, success, right? She did not have the brain capacity to be depressed exactly. anymore. And she probably couldn't communicate it. She probably was no. worse. Probably. So, after the operation was complete, Monez considered it a success. <laughs> I started the whole paragraph over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're on the next paragraph. Yeah. Lima and Monez started working together hand in hand to continue to develop the procedure because, again, it was a success. And so they wanted to try to, like, make it better. But my thought is I think they knew what they were doing wasn't really helping. So they were, like, secretly trying to fix it so that they don't later get in trouble because they probably were like, shit, this person's brain dead. If this happens too many times, people will raise suspicions. And get really upset because they're doing it without any consent because they're medically well only one of them is medically allowed to yeah are they actually like declared like medically insane the people 
Yeah. Uh, for that time period, I essentially, yes. But think about during that time period. Yeah. If Corey got irritated with you because you didn't want to do the dishes Tuesday night, he could be like, my wife is acting up. She's crazy. Take her in. And it's because, you know, you were right, so depressed. You couldn't do dishes. Right. Beauty and the Beast. It's also exactly what happens in a sense in Sucker Punch, how some of the other girls mm-hmm. end up there is they're deemed crazy because they just didn't follow normal standards which we'll talk about throughout this because there's a very famous one where she rebels slightly. And so people are like, Oh my God, she's mentally ill. Cause being a rebel is mentally ill. Right. Everyone should be a Sith. Obviously. Right. Obviously. Did you get that joke? I yes. know you got the joke, but it wasn't it funny. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Just thought I should let you know what it was. In February of 1936, Monez and Lima had operated on 20 patients. That's a lot already in such a short period. Their average period in between like each procedure was only one week. All right. Monez was publishing his findings in March of that same year. So he's like, you know, I got to get a lot of them so I can publish it. The patients were anywhere between 27 and 62 years of age. 12 were female, 8 were male. Nine of the patients were diagnosed with suffering from depression, six of them from schizophrenia, two from panic disorders, and one having mania. They also said that some of them were suffering from catatonia and manic depression, but the most prominent symptoms being just any slight agitation or anxiety. I would have been the perfect candidate for a lobotomy. Unfortunately, I mean, we're women. So, yeah, Yeah. we would have definitely had one. Yep. The duration of the illness before the procedure would vary from as little to four weeks to as much as 22 years. So, like, if you were agitated for four weeks, your husband could just send you to get a lobotomy, essentially. Or if you you were young, your parents could send you if you were male. But it was Mm -hmm. it was less frequent for males to get sent. Right. After the surgery, the patient's new symptoms would include increased temperature, vomiting, bladder and bowel issues, diarrhea, ocular issues. And I kind of tell you what each one is because some of these people might not recognize. Sosis, which is droopy eyelids. Nagmus, which is where the eyes will make repetitive, uncontrolled movements. These movements will result in reduced vision and depth perception and can affect balance and coordination. Sometimes it kind of looks just like shaking eyes. I think it's nystagmus, but it's fine. You're fine. Some of the patients (laughs) also suffer from more mental illnesses, such as akinsnia. Echinesia. Is it like amnesia? Like, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. Okay. So, akinesia. It's just the beginning. looks like a Ken, so I'm, like, thrown off by it. Yeah. Akinesia? Yeah. I don't know. The loss of the ability to move your muscles voluntarily. So, it's similar to what happens after, like, a stroke and stuff also. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like, lethargic issues. So, like, being drowsy and stuff. Also, they have issues with timing and local disorientation and abnormal senses of hunger. To me, because uh, I know someone that suffered from a very devastating stroke, this sounds like almost like what happens after that, because like you lose the ability to be yourself as an independent human. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening to these people. 
Monez and Lima suggested that the issues were all temporary and part of the healing of the procedure. But in the journals, the first 20 patients, only 35% of the patients would ever improve from these issues. But highlight, there were zero reported deaths. You said report it. Kylie, got to look at the bright side here. Okay. (laughs) And nonetheless, we're supposed to be believing everything he's putting in his journals. Mm, Okay. In less than 10 years, the news of the surgery had spread and made its way to a doctor named Walter Freeman, a.k.a. a dick bag. Great. (sighs) Tell me about him. (laughs) I would, you know, him and Dee Dee, Dr. Death, would be friendamundos. (laughs) Dee Dee. (laughs) That's his nickname. Which is like kind of ironic because, you know, he's anything but a designated driver. (laughs) Fuck off. I was trying to think of how you were going to make MD into a joke right there. Like he's anything but a good MD, DD or something. But you went designate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because he's, you know, hand in hand. Well, no, no, no. They don't know unless they listen to the episode. Okay, well, go listen to the episode. (laughs) But also drugs. (laughs) Drugs. Drugs. In 1924, a man named Walter Jackson Freeman II. But if his if he was a whale, his name would be Walter Jackson Freeman, too. (laughs) As we have found out from the SeaWorld episode, they do not use the correct terms to name whales. <laughs> he arrived in Washington, D.C. to direct the labs at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Walter's dad and grandpa were also doctors and Walter really looked up to him. So for Walter to want like his life goal was to be a successful doctor and make a name for himself somehow. Walter's original goal was to make the medical world a better place by helping patients and truly making things better. I feel Mm -hmm. like whenever we hear things like that, we just know it's going to go downhill. Mm -hmm. The issue here is that Walter had a really big ego problem and he wanted to be the best of the best and known for his medical achievements in order to impress his family, right? So him wanting to help patients and cure them turned into him wanting the fame and glory of being the person who could like rid the world of mental illnesses like that's that's how he thought of it that's very dr death i know when i was writing this i was like oh my god literally they are like two sides of the same coin here maybe they were um maybe christopher dunch is reincarnated freeman um uh they are alive at the same time in life but yes i get what you're (laughs) saying here are they yeah yeah Freeman lives a while. He doesn't die. <laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> On September 14th, 1936, Freeman was beginning to modify Monez's procedure. And at this time, he renamed it. He, he started like going by his own term, probably, you know, so that he didn't get in trouble. And he called it a lobotomy. Lobotomies was going to be the catch all surgery. They would help anyone with any mental disorder. The original target patients were anyone that suffered from schizophrenia because that was like the biggest issue at the time because you could easily say your wife was just being, it sounds like I'm being super sexist in this episode, but if you know, you know, okay. Like back then women just, we weren't humans. We were our husband's items to keep around the house. Mm -hmm. So Mental health was a super taboo subject back then, and it was even more taboo if something was wrong with your mental health. And like if you talked about it, like that's that's a problem and we're going to find a solution if you have a problem. 
So the solution would be the lobotomy. So uh, I, what, what I had just said, September 14th, 1936, we're still at that time period. Freeman and his neurosurgeon partner, James Watts, performed the first ever prefrontal lobotomy in the United States on a patient named Alice Hood Hammett. Alice was a housewife from Topeka, Kansas. Alice was said to suffer from anxiety, insomnia, and depression. She was 63 years old and had suffered from these symptoms for most of her life. So Alice was suffering from these like massive mood swings and her mental health was starting to decline. But instead of being sent to a mental hospital to deal with her manic and depressive episodes, she was asked, like, do you want to get a lobotomy? Like, it's this new thing. Like, it'll help you. And they really tried to sell her on the concept that it's like. This one time surgery. So first off, it's a one time thing that already like sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. It was a one time surgery. It would make you no longer depressed. It would make you no longer have these episodes and it'll rejuvenate your spirit for life. It'll just fix you. And it's this one time thing. It's only a few hours long. It's going to be done by us, too. We bring it to the hospital, which already that kind of sounds good because, you know, you're going into a hospital to get it done. And we're just going to do this and then you'll be cured for the rest of your life. And, you know, it has no downsides. Right. So obviously, Alice is like, OK, like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? Alice goes in for the lobotomy. They shave parts of her head because that's where they're going to drill the holes in her head. Yes. Original lobotomies drilled holes in your head. Wild. So they began the procedure. They drilled these holes and they severed the brain's fibers to rewire her, essentially. Think like Stepford Wives-ish moment. So during the surgery, Alice was super responsive and alert. And it made it seem like things were going well. Like they'd be like, okay, like Alice, move your feet. Okay, Alice, tap, tap your finger on the table. You know, like they would tell her to do things and she was doing everything. So after the surgery is done, she goes to sleep, you know, they say she'll wake up and be a new person. So after waking up, she starts becoming more alert over the next few days. And like things are working, actually. Alice was becoming active. She was really happy. Her anxiety was at an all time low. Honestly, it sounded like Alice was cured. So at the time, the surgery was a success and Alice became the poster child of how lobotomies will fix all your ailments. They were like, look, she really was sad. She was hurt. She was lost alone in life. And now she has a new sense of life. So the fact that it worked this first time was like the oh, my God. Alice did end up dying five years after the surgery, but of more like normal causes. But she didn't have a super long life after it, which probably actually helped because she didn't have time to develop issues. Yeah, probably. So with this first surgery being super successful, Watson Freeman decided that they're going to do 20 more procedures in less than a year so that everyone can figure out how great lobotomies are and it'll make them like super mainstream and cool, right? Because rushing a bunch of brain surgeries is the right way to go. Always. So Freeman decided to go on tour with his surgeries and like show off his skills. And when I say that he went on tour, think like, Jim Jones and like his mm. like healing things like that's essentially what it was. It was a pop up tent type style, but it was like in a hospital and it would be the spectacle. He would make it into a show and he would like wear suits and have a cane and stuff like that. Like legitimately, he reminds me of and I said this during Christopher Dunch, 
Count Olaf. He reminds me of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what this dude series is. Series of unfortunate events. Yeah. So the cool thing was this allowed Watts to still be like his professional medical self because he became the medical guru of the event. And Freeman instead was like the crowd pleaser. And he'd be like, oh, my God, look at this brain surgery. Oh, my God, look at the blood. You know, I don't know why he has an accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but like. He was essentially just like the like, look at this. Look at. The, oh, my God. Look at that. And for, and Watts is like, hey, um, hand me a scalpel. OK, all right. Um, I'm <laughs> going to tear into the fourth and fifth brain neurological severing fiber optical illusional sets. <laughs> and like there was this dichotomy between the two, but it worked. So they would invite these crowds but they also invited newspapers to come and report the events. This led to the New York Times doing an article glamorizing how lobotomies are a cure-all surgery because they heard how good it went for Alice. So one of the most famous cases of a lobotomy was Rosemary Kennedy, a.k.a. the sister of President JFK, John F. Kennedy. This family... Nope, I can't do it. Nope, don't do it. Don't go there. <laughs> this family could really not Continue use another. Continue on. Oh, I just want to say it. Okay, so Rosemary underwent a lobotomy. <laughs> Holes in the head. That's where I was going, guys. Okay. <laughs> Rosemary underwent a lobotomy in November of 1941. And it left her incapacitated and institutionalized for the rest of her life. But it gets pushed under the rug a lot because... They're the Kennedys, guys. The Kennedys are the perfect family, right? So before the lobotomy, Rosemary was this beautiful, happy girl. She loved dancing, swimming, fashion. She loved being outside. And everyone said she was an extremely happy person. Now, Rosemary was born into money, fame, and this family with this super intense reputation. Well, Rosemary was opposite of everyone in her family. She was super rebellious and she like had this attitude so it made it hard for her family to accept her because they're like you rebelling makes us look bad and our family has to look good so some of the things they did was they even like sent her to all girl schools to like clean up her act but she would always run away from them and like she wanted to quit school she didn't want to be there so eventually the kennedys were like okay we're gonna send you one step further we're gonna make you be in a covenant a covenant sorry and so they sent her to a covenant. Convent. Really? It's not a... Yeah, it's it's not oh, witches. <laughs> oh my God, that's the difference between the two words. Yeah, she's not in a coven, she's in a convent. Oh my God, she's there with the nuns, y'all. <laughs> I wondered why it sounded weird every time I said it, and that's why I said it so many times, because I was like, something seems off, but like... I know that's a real word. Like, it's not like, like when I make up words and think they're real. <laughs> I had to figure it out. <laughs> you guys missed it. I was talking with Kylie about this episode and dead ass. I made up a new term and I didn't catch myself and Kylie had to catch me. I was like, yeah. So tomorrow when we do the uh, le the Lepanning and Trabotomies episode, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I just kept going with my sentence and Kylie was like, it was just staring are, at you. Are you serious right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, just like you didn't even catch that one. And you I was like, nope. you you caught something else though that you said, and I was like, no, you just said. <laughs> well, that's just like I did with saliva or whatever yeah. her name was, and I was like, 
Salavia Rodrigo. And you're like, excuse me. And I was like, oh, so Rodrigo's her maiden name. You're like, that's not what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not very good at it. Talking, reading. At it. Period. Take Take your toys. Well, anyways, she was with the nuns, right? Because they wanted to like, see if maybe that would help. They're like, okay, well, if you keep trying to escape school, we'll just, I guess, do this or something. So they send her away at this point. And while living there, she starts to act up again. And the nuns were reporting to her family, telling them how she's rebelling. They said that Rosemary loved sinning and she was thinking about having premarital sex. Oh, no. We would never do that in this God's world. No. That is insane. (laughs) So Rosemary was also said to be dyslexic. And they labeled this a developmentally disabled disorder. So the fact that she was sinning, she wanted to have sex. She's now developmentally disabled. Like all these things. She's she's just a, a problem, right? So what do we do with problems? We fix them. So this information was given to the Kennedy family and they were like, okay, we'll, we'll fix the situation. And her father at the time had just heard about lobotomies. So he's like, okay, I will schedule her a lobotomy. Sounds great. Obviously. So at 23 years old, Rosemary arrives for her surgery. And again, you know, they shave part of the head, which I'm just imagining where they shave. It's like a reverse devil horn situation here. <laughs> like, because that's where the holes are kind yeah. of. Yeah. So. They shave these holes and then they start, uh, they shave the chunks and start drilling the holes in her temples. Well, like your temples are right here. Yeah. In the, in the photos, it's like right here they shave. So well, it's, it's kind of above your are. temples, but it's not the horns, I guess. It's, it's, it's like in between yeah. where your horns would be. And We're where... showing you guys on our heads. Can yeah. you guys not see? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so after they did this, they used an instrument that looked like a dull scalpel. And they started cutting the connections in her brain, you know, cutting all the little things. Mm-hmm. And they said that this would make it so that Rosemary couldn't feel feelings and process emotions anymore because that was going to fix her. Right. Totally. Had they not seen the episode where Timmy Turner asks his fairy <laughs> godparents not to feel feelings anymore? <laughs> Ugh, they don't understand. I forgot about that. <laughs> that was my first thought when I heard it. Just I don't want to feel feelings anymore. So the doctors were asking Rosemary to talk to them and sing during the procedure because, you know, that's what Alice did. They were like, you know, Rosemary, tap your feet. Rosemary, sing. Rosemary, count. All these things. And it was going great. But then during a portion of the surgery, Rosemary started slurring her words. She was jumbling them up and stuff. And I know that sounds really scary, but the doctors said they knew that's how they were done with the procedure because they're like, oh, okay, like she's getting loopy like it's done they still do that mm-hmm. they still do that today yeah like it sounds scarier than it is but like that's, nope that's we're not gonna touch correct. that part of the brain yeah yeah it's like a a buzzer almost telling them like hey you're mm-hmm. getting too close to the, the important stuff yeah but they actually already had gone too far and they didn't notice so when rosemary wo- woke up they were like yeah we we uh went too far <laughs> Rosemary at first was a, was literally like a zombie. She had no emotions. She didn't want to act out. And she had this like eerily calm nature where it was like inhuman almost. Um, the event left Rosemary with a diminished mental capacity. 
She was entirely dependent on other people. Even doing basic tasks was nearly impossible for her. Rosemary couldn't go to the bathroom. She couldn't form entire sentences. She was unable to read and she was partially paralyzed on her left side. Over time, she also became a mute and um, her family just decided to cover up the story so that they could raise rise up in the political ranks without this smudge on the record like Rosemary was. So they had some really good ones, but then they had this really bad one. And this bad one would have probably made people like a lot more weary, but the Kennedys covered it up. So no one really knew that much about it. Right. But obviously nowadays we know about it, but like if they would have said something, things probably would have been very different at this point. So not long after Rosemary on January 1st, 1942, Walter Freeman and James Watts, the two guys now, they wrote a book. It has a very long title. It is called Psychosurgery, Intelligence, Emotion, Social and Social Behavior Following Prefrontal Lobotomy for Mental Disorders. Okay. Say that <laughs> 10 times fast. Okay. It held a lot of their personal findings and notes within it, but they also talk mostly about like the positive things in it. So like, yeah, it does have a lot of their notes, but only like the good notes. So one note that's really interesting in the book is that the men talk about like Watson Freeman talk about how out of the first 200 patients they have only 63 saw positive results. Now, they claimed that was a good thing because they're like, that's over half. That's over 50 percent. 63 percent. Yeah. But if you think about it, 63 percent is not a lot of percentage. No. So after the book came out, Walter decided that they needed like other things like, yeah, you can get these if you're schizophrenic, but we need more things. So Walter's like, hey, if you have headaches, a lobotomy could fix that also. The reason behind this was that like Freeman noticed that if he broadened the demographics of who would come in for a lobotomy, then it would create a wider range of like the symptoms that would be required to tell people they need a lobotomy would be. So it's just it's just bringing in more clients now. So it's important to remember that Watts was doing all the medical surgeries because Freeman was a neural neurolot neur <laughs> Freeman was a neurologist technically in training, but he was never a neurosurgeon. He technically didn't have any surgery background or know how to do any of it. So he could identify certain issues with the brain, the spinal cord, or the peripheral nerves and muscles, but he could never perform events. But despite that, he decided he should start changing the procedures because he wanted everything changed. Transorbital lobotomies were already invented, actually, and the procedure was attempted in 1937 by an Italian psychosurgeon named Amaro Fiamberti. And Fiamberti had performed the operations by forcing a thin tube through a bony orbit at the back of the eye socket and injecting alcohol into the frontal lobe. Freeman's like, oh, my God, that's great. But like, I can't steal the idea. I already stealed lobotomies. That's really weird to think about. <laughs> the whole thing. Well, because yeah. you can feel your bone like right on the side of your yeah. eye. Wowie. Yeah. So Freeman's like, again, I'm going to do it, but like reinvent it again. 
So as Freeman started to decide he wanted to do it slightly different, he decided the first thing he needed to do was change the instrument. So he decided to choose something that could like penetrate through the bone instead of having to like wind around it like snaky like. So he picked an ice pick and then later he did make a correct tool. But like the first real ones were done with an ice pick. Sounds delightful so when people like make jokes being like it's an ice pick surgery and like call it that mm-hmm. no it, it really really was. <laughs> it really was actually so in 1945 before even attempting it on a living patient he did something kind of right he practiced he took an ice pick and he went to his kitchen and started testing this on grapefruits and cadavers <laughs> okay grapefruit <laughs> And cadavers. Also, he's not actually like a scientist or like a medical person. So where is he just getting the cadavers? Right. I would have thought that he would start with like pigs or goats something. or cows or something. Also, what's a cadaver going to really teach you, I feel like? Because you yeah. don't know if you're hitting too hard, too well, in I mean, the wrong spot. But they're already dead. So well, yes. So you, you wouldn't. You could like open them up and see. Uh, what... I don't know. It seems kind of shady. Yeah. It, well, it is very shady. <laughs> So this new transorbital lobotomy, you know, new in quotes, right, would involve, here's how he wanted to do it. You would lift the upper eyelid, place the point of a thin surgical instrument, which later became the leucotomy, but at the time it was the ice pick. You would place it under the eye against the top of your eye socket. Then they would use a mallet to drive the orbitoclast, which is when it's it, it, the thing up there, through the thin layer of bone into the brain along the plane of the bridge of the nose around 15 degrees towards the inter hemisphere, <laughs> hemispheric, mm-hmm. interhemispheric fissure. Then the orbital class would be malleted till it was about five centimeters to two inches into the frontal lobe, then pivoted 40 degrees at the orbit perforation. So the tip would cut towards the opposite side of the head towards the nose. So, all right. Oh, that just makes me like. Yeah, cringe. we're already super complicated. So we're putting this thing up, like lining it up with your nose under your eye, mallet it into your head and then like twist it. Yeah, that's the part. It. Like I would understand like when you get a head injury or like somebody gets a like a nail in their head. The first thing you do is not move it. Well, and that's not that is not what I had ever heard about. Yeah, or know what I've ever seen in movies because it's always so fast and a lot of movies cut well, out that scene and stuff all very like straight, straight down and then shoot and, out yeah and then i don't think it. i've ever seen it the way it's described like this and mm-hmm. i saw it like this a ton of places <laughs> so then the instrument would be returned back to the normal position the like neutral and then sent a further two centimeters into the brain so after spinning it around you know you're putting it further in then pivoted 28 degrees to each side to cut outward and inward repeatedly. And all these cuts were designed to cut the white fibrous material connecting the cortical tissue of the prefrontal cortex to the thalamus. 
The leukotomy tool would then be withdrawn and the procedure would then be repeated on the other side. What in the actual fuck? <laughs> I would have just been, just kill me. Yeah. I'd live with my depression at that point. I, yeah. Because also, this is not near the same concept. This is the pussiest sounding thing I've ever said. <laughs> so I have a double tongue piercing, <laughs> meaning it had to be done twice, right? That's what it means. So this this lady, she, you know, put the little clamp on. She pierced the front there, the side of my tongue. She pierced the first one, right? My tongue recoiled into my mouth and she's like, OK, stick your tongue out, do the other one. And I physically was in so much pain. I couldn't get my tongue to like pull itself out of my mouth. It was turtle shelling inside my mouth to do it a second time. Like the concept of having to once you have this severe pain, do it a second time like people with twins. Fuck no. <laughs> and she literally had to like she's like can i pull your tongue out you have an off-centered tongue ring like i have to do the second one she had to clamp my tongue and like pull it out of my mouth just to get it out of my it, i would have said no i would have had an off-centered tongue ring i would have taken it out <laughs> been like nope but it was so painful to know that you just had this pain and like nonetheless the adrenaline from the first one was there and mm. now there's definitely no adrenaline and i'm like this is gonna be the worst experience of my entire life and it was I have officially told people I would never suggest this piercing to anyone. Looks rad, though. <laughs> Yikes. So that's that's, that's what, what my dad did with a double nipple. tongue piercing. No, oh. nipple. he got he's like, I want to get my nipples pierced. He's like, all right. And then he got one pierced. And then he's like, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't want it. Aww. So he just has one pierced. He my, doesn't have the second one. My little April 3rd baby. Your dad. Your dad's my April 3rd baby. <laughs> Your April 3rd baby. Yeah, why not? Okay. Your parents so, are my so babies. Is, uh, so is Dr. Death. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of people Amanda Bynes. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> now, with this new procedure of how the lobotomies would go about. Now, remember, I just, I just want to keep clarifying this. This man is not a medical person. Just remember that. Okay, so... The lobotomies being done by him, the not medical person, not Watts, the medical person, but by Freeman, the non-medical. Okay, yeah, just just so we're on the same page here. Lobotomies are now going to be faster, easier, less complicated because there's no drilling in the head. This also allowed Freeman to do the surgery without Watts' help or even needing to be in a hospital. He could literally like bring a folding chair, sit you down in it and just start malleting these things into your head, which is essentially what happens. The whole surgery would now only take seven to 10 minutes, which compared to the old way would take three or more hours because of all the drilling, shaving, everything. And he decided to price the procedure anywhere from free to $20 to $200. So use that 50% off coupon. Go get you a lobotomy. <laughs> it might be as cheap as 10 bucks. Another interesting thing that was happening at this time was that Freeman did not believe that utensils or the procedure workspace needed to be sterilized or even clean. Right, because that's the first thing you really want when you're having um, neurosurgery. He actually would make comments saying that germ crap, like germ crap is like a phrase that he said. You know, it's crap. It's not a grill, sir. You don't not clean it for the for the juices, for the for the experience of the flavors, <laughs> sir. Well, he said it was taking extra time and that's unnecessary. 
literally necessary. <laughs> like, literally. Even the trepanation people knew what they were doing compared to Freeman. Ugh. So the first surgery he did without Watts that people knew of on, like, a human, like, a, a live one, was... <laughs> I just gotta keep clarifying. Not a cadaver. <laughs> or a grapefruit, people. <laughs> or a grapefruit. It was on January 17th, and it was in 1946. It was in Freeman's Washington, D.C. office. It was on a 29-year-old housewife named Sally Ellen Ionsko. She goes by Ellen, her middle name, so we'll, we'll use Ellen. She suffered from depression and included multiple failed suicide attempts. So she became the perfect elective for this new radical era in the treatment of mental illnesses. Because she didn't care if she died. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, she didn't care if she died. I get, yeah, no, I just meant because of the depression, but okay, thanks, Kylie. <laughs> so... After rendering Ellen unconscious through electroshock techniques. Super fun. Done by Freeman, the non-medical person, right? So he's Mm -hmm. shocking this bitch. And then he's like, okay, now I'm just going to take this into your head. He performed his new technique. When the procedure, because it's no longer a surgery, so now the procedure was done, he just sent her home in a taxi cab and convinced her that he cured her. Now, Ellen did live until 2007, so, like, she had a long life, but after it, she had really big issues, like, uh, she couldn't form, store, or create memories. That's sad. And that's a long life to live. That's essentially giving her dementia at 29 years old and living the rest of her life with it. After a lobotomy, patients sometimes would also develop seizures They would seem superous, confused, and incontinent. Some of them even developed enormous appetites and gained considerable weight. Now, remember, we said all those were originally issues with the old lobotomies also. So we're still having a lot of the same issues. Right. Patients will also have lower amounts of spontaneity, responsiveness, self-aware, and self-control. The activity was replaced by inertia People were left with emotionally stunted, restricted intellectual ranges, and they also showed a reduction in initiative and inhibition. So literally, they're not functioning peoples anymore. Yeah. Walter Freeman then coined the term surgically induced childhood. Don't like that. And he would use it constantly to refer to the results of lobotomy. So he's admitting, like, I'm stunting you back to before you could be before you had any issues an adult in a sense too well i'm thinking of it more of like young children can't do things on their own they can't function Mm -hmm. in society and that's essentially what he's saying is he's like it's okay i'm doing it on purpose i'm I'm surgically giving them that childhood covering up that he was like doing it on purpose yes which also makes sense though how this follows the trepanation path because they're like talking about, you know, how trepanation, the blood flow, things like that. It gets you back to that high of life, like being a child. And that's essentially, I think, what he's going for here. But he's mm-hmm. not doing it well or at mm-hmm. all. Right. Right. Now, the operation actually left people within like more of like an infant, infantile like type personality. They were too young, not childhood, more, you know, young and a period of m- needing to literally mature would just to recover would happen. But Freeman didn't give people time to do this. So the next big medical event was in 1949. 
Monez ended up getting a Nobel Peace Prize for uh, physiology and medicine for the discovery of therapeutic value of lobotomy or lobotomies in certain psychosis. He was nominated by Walter Freeman, though. Oh, okay. So they're just, they're literally just sucking each other off at this point. Right. In 1950, Freeman started doing a lot more procedures, and there's a lot of stories you can dive into from these procedures. And I mean, like, a lot. So, for example, in July 1952, Freeman performed 228 transorbital lobotomies in a two-week period in West Virginia for a state-sponsored lobotomy project dubbed Operation Ice Pick by the newspapers. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, with Freeman's patients only... or. Not only like, oh, my gosh, 60 percent of the patients were women and they were signed up for the procedure by their husband, which now I finally get to say it like was super common back then. But it was really skewed whether or not women needed these procedures, because common reasons people get lobotomies are if anyone suffered from depression, chronic headaches, schizophrenia, anxiety, insomnia, homosexual tendencies. So, like, if you're like, yeah, my wife looked at another woman, I, like, caught my wife at home, like, anything, you could just, you know, go and get it done. One of the most infamous lobotomy cases was on a man named Howard Dully. It was December 16th, 1960. Freeman lobotomized Howard Dully at Doctors General Hospital in San Jose, California. While Howard was only four years old, he was already diagnosed with schizophrenia. So, at age 12, he met Freeman, and Freeman's like, well, you know, you're diagnosed, I can do this. Freeman described Dully as defiant and savage looking in his doctor's notes, and he claimed that there were clear mental issues that he was trying to test his father and stepmother. Freeman also wrote, he objects to going to bed, but then will sleep well once like once he's in bed. He does a good deal of daydreaming about when asked about it. Dully says, I don't know. Howard turns his room's lights on when there's broad sunlight out outside also. So, like, these aren't reasons to give someone a lobotomy. He just sounds like a kid that's, like, being yeah, a kid. Yeah, every kid is like, I don't want to go to bed. Yeah, I or mean, like, I don't want to go to bed, but I still sleep well. <laughs> or, like, they don't understand that it costs money for, like, electricity. Yeah, they're just going to turn their light on. Like, So, Dr. Freeman claimed Dully does not react correctly or, like, at all to love or punishment. So, he's a perfect candidate because this will fix him. So, after the surgery, Dully was changed. He sat there grinning and he was like dumb, found happy. Like it was dumb though. He couldn't correctly hold a conversation, according to his stepmother. And he suffered severe memory loss and claimed that ever since the operation, he had felt like a freak. But when I say it ruined part of his memories, it actually made him forget everything that had happened before he woke up. So he didn't even realize he had a lobotomy. And when he was an adult, his memories were wiped, like, because of that as a kid. So he had these memories come flooding forward because people had started posting about Freeman and talking about it in books and movies and information and stuff. And he saw pictures of himself receiving the lobotomy. And he's like, holy shit, that's why my memories are gone. And he found out through pictures that, like, newspapers were posting that he was someone that had a lobotomy. That's why it's, like, super famous. Like, trauma. Like serious amnesia, and then all of a sudden it comes rushing back. Flooding back, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that his parents didn't, like, 
remind him or tell him. I don't know. I think that's kind of I mean, his parents didn't sound very great anyways, but it just is very telling, I guess. Mm -hmm. Another case that really needs talked about is Freeman's last recorded lobotomy. That's on Helen Mortensen. She actually had a lobotomy done by Freeman in 1967. And she had another lobotomy done by Freeman in 1946. And she had another lobotomy done by Freeman in 1956. Okay. It's not like Botox. <laughs> like You just keep getting lobotomies until one sticks. So Helen was one of Freeman's first 10 transorbital lobotomy patients from 1946. But she suffered a relapse in her mental state. So that led to the second one in 56. And people were like giving her praise for her previous lobotomy procedures working and changing her. So she's like, okay, but I'm not fully fixed. Like, yeah, I'm happier, but I'm not my happiest self. So why not have a third, right? Okay, that that makes the most sense. So in the third one in 1967, in this procedure, Freeman ended up severing a blood vessel in her brain and she started having severe brain hemorrhages and she passed away three days after the surgery. So, like, she woke up after the surgery and things were fine at first, but then, you know, she passed away. So, as a result from this, the hospital that he performed his procedure at, because this time he did it at a hospital, they revoked his surgical privileges. Because he wasn't technically doing surgeries. He was doing procedures. So, he was able to get away with working in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But then they revoked that. And at that time, Freeman had already performed 3,500 or more lobotomies in 23 different states. Now, 2,500 of them involved his ice pick version. That is literally thousands of lobotomy victims, none of which needed the procedure. Literally, like, out of all those, about three of them needed it, probably. So he was stripped of his surgical privileges. I'm using that term lightly here. And in 1968, he retired. So he decided to embark on a cross-country study, and he was going to follow up with all of his previous lobotomy patients to, like, really see if they were doing great or not. So Freeman then died of cancer at age 76 on March 31st, 1972. May. May 31st. What'd I say? March. God damn it. So, like, a lob lobotomy can't fix cancer? <laughs> <laughs> he should have done a he should have trep trepanation himself yeah and like lobotomized himself so on may 31st he died he was best known as the inventor of the lobotomy and his success stories were then published but like i just told you how crazy it was and how he clearly did not invent it also but like if you google like who invented the lobotomy walter freeman's gonna pop up like i said there's like even a movie about walter freeman and stuff but it was literally developed by tons of people before him. He was just the one that did the transorbital lobotomy. So also, people started publishing all of his success for stories, but all the failures started getting swept under the rug and people were trying to hide them. In the U.S., though, Walter did 10% of the lobotomies. And you have to think about, he only had like a 63% like rate and stuff. So that's, that's crazy. So I want to give you a lot of other number statistics, but this is where I get into like the boring part unless you thought the whole thing was boring if so i'm so sorry <laughs> if so i'm so sorry <laughs> i don't know what to tell you so between 1940 and 1944 a four-year time period there were 684 lobotomies that were performed in the united states that were recorded however because of the publications and the presentations of the new technique by freeman and watts 
those numbers of recorded ones were increased towards the end of the decade. In 1949, which was the peak year for lobotomies in the U.S., just in that one year, there were 5,074 procedures that were completed and recorded. By 1951, there was 18,608 individuals that have been lobotomized in the U.S. that were recorded. But again, if he's doing some of these for free and he's doing really shady versions of them, they're not being recorded. So you just Gross. gotta remember that. Yeah. In the United States alone, there are approximately 40,000 people who were lobotomized. In England, there were 17,000 lobotomies that were performed. In the combined countries of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, they had approximately 9,300 lobotomies. In Japan, the majority of lobotomies were performed on children with behavioral problems, so they tried not to record their numbers. Of course. (laughs) Of course they did. The Soviet Union officially banned the procedure in 1950. By the 1970s, numerous other countries had banned the procedure, and the U.S. did not ban it as a whole at first. They did it, like, state by state, and they, like, took their time. But in 1977, the U.S. Congress created the National Committee for the Protection of Human Subjects of Biomedical and Behavioral Research. What was that? <laughs> that's not that's not a big old ass. <laughs> and they decided to investigate allegations of psychosurgery, including lobotomy techniques. So nowadays, lobotomies are like these scary urban legend cult stories almost that they like scare people with. And like, they're just like, almost like a thing of myths, but they're like, not they're real, but they're like, so spooky that it's almost like a, a cult classic scary thing you just put in movies and stuff like that. So I'm going to watch Sucker Punch this weekend. <laughs> so Kylie, can I offer you a lobotomy in these trying times? Can I offer you a nice egg in this trying time? Yeah, he's got an egg. You might <laughs> Only you would put an Always Sunny clip into our podcast. I hate this show. I hate it. I hate it so much. Did, I'm sorry. Did uh, Margie send you that Snapchat while you guys were gone? I have noticed that I'm not friends with Margie on Snapchat. Oh, this is awkward. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's what happened. We were at the store and I'm trying clothes on and Margie looks to her left and there is a giant neon yellow t-shirt with neon pink and purple font that just says Danny DeVito. In all caps, in like Comic Sans font. And she's like, oh my God, you need that. It was only in like a small though. But I was like, oh my God, Danny DeVito, I love your work. <laughs> That's from Mean Girls. That's from Mean Girls. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> I hate Mean Girls. Ugh. Well, I don't like it, but I can quote all of oh, it. Oh, <laughs> now she also doesn't like it because I don't like it, guys. She's so obsessed with me. Just kidding. <laughs> funny coming from you who doesn't like the movie uh, say crack one more time crack <laughs> all right guys so, you can quote it too i know i hate oh. i hate love it i love uh, hate it well I love hate relationship kind of like how i feel about this episode for real though what it's, the fuck okay like i knew a lot of that about lobotomies but like i didn't know a lot about that about lobotomies definitely did not know a lot about that about trepanation yeah no, I had no idea. I'm really thankful for migraine medicine. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure you are. Because anyone that knows me knows that I have a migraine at least twice a week and it will go anywhere from like two hours to four or five days. And they're sometimes bad. Like I will call off work. That's how bad they are. I can't function as a human. 
Uh, so we get a lobotomy. Yeah, dead ass. <laughs> I should just. Hey Corey, can you help me uh, perform a lobotomy? No, Corey, no, <laughs> absolutely not. So, wow, welcome home from Vermont, <laughs> Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> or Corey calls Virginia Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> I don't know why. It's not funny. <laughs> it's really not. Well, guys, thank you for popping in. Um, we hope you guys liked this really weird one. Tell us how you felt about it. Um, tell us how you felt about SeaWorld. Tell us if you cried every time we did. So, guys, we want to say thank you to all the, the members of the Cryptic Soup fam that always inspire and appreciate and are cool and help us along this wild journey that we call <laughs> life. I'm so tired all of a sudden. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Wow, I just had like a change in my whole personality. <laughs> no, you wanted to do another thing of makeup tonight. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go do a makeup. You're going to go that do a makeup? That doesn't sound normal, but like it is. I just like, I'm like a little kid and I like to sit on the floor of my room in front of my mirror and like do makeup for fun and like take a picture and then take it all off. I don't know. It makes me happy. I feel like I'm five. So thank you so much, Damon Bukowski, for our always wonderful theme song. You're amazing. Artwork by Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. You got anything to add there? You just saw Tay Tay? I did see Tay Tay. Is he going to be mad I called him Tay Tay? Maybe. He might be. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> our editing is done by our awesome pal, Corey. That sounded so disrespectful to call him a pal. Really but I don't know what else to call him. My awesome roomie. Yeah. Corey. Core.media.photography on Instagram. We love you guys. <laughs> are you okay i don't know i'm struggling to read right now i'm so tired all right guys don't forget to follow the instagram at cryptic soup pod we are um gearing up for part two of finale de fradea that's swedish for the final (laughs) friday's it's not it's not <laughs> it sounded cool though yeah, yeah so we're true. doing uh the next final friday so stay tuned for that we are slaving over a hot stove for part two y'all be ready <laughs> Sl- oh it's gonna be intense i'm sweaty just thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway follow our instagram at cryptic soup pod where our dms are always open for suggestions so slide on in we love when you guys leave Apple podcast reviews and ratings as well as Spotify ratings. Big shout out to our friend, Michael. You are awesome. We read your little thing and we like, ah, we love you. We had a little giggle happy moment because it meant a lot to us that you took the time to do it, but also that you were like, oh my gosh, I wait every week. It was so cool. Um, Michael gave us a uh, really cool um, suggestion too. So we added it to our little suggestions page that we are excited to start working on. Yeah, I don't know what's you happening. Mean, no, Stop. you just you need to you need to continue to make French just oh. <laughs> accents here and there because it sounds really cool. People only like I when I do, do the it. French ones. Because <laughs> like, it's the only one I can do. I can't do it. So remember to subscribe, follow, <laughs> tune in, and keep up with us. We will see you for the next episode next Tuesday. Stay tuned.
in February 19th. Oi! <laughs> Oi! <laughs> I lost my... Okay. Yeah. Uh, where are you going? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Mes amis, hey, hey, mon salé, me, me, biscuit. <laughs>